0: Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. We are back, and I want to thank you for your patience during my book leave. What's cool is that we are usually going to have not just one, but two episodes now per week moving forward. One will have me and SI's Brian Strauss talking about events in the soccer world, and the other will feature an in-depth interview with an intriguing figure in the world's most popular sport. Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, you can do us a huge favor by subscribing, liking, and giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast. That gives us a boost on the charts, and we need to get our numbers up. Joining me now is S.I.'s Brian Strauss, and before I forget, since our last podcast in May, Brian wrote your first Sports Illustrated cover story on Neymar. Congratulations, my friend.
1: Uh, thanks. Uh, that's not all that's happened in soccer since May. <laughs> Some other things, uh, it has not been a slow six months. No, the Neymar experience was cool, and it feels like it was eight years ago.
0: <laughs> you told me a story, though, and we'll address other topics like the U.S. you know failing to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> but you told me a story about your interview situation with Neymar and his entourage out in L.A. that made me giggle, in which his entourage kept kind of encroaching on the interview, leaving you to sort of try and shoo the entourage away. What's that story?
1: Well, there were there were multiple moments during this episode of me having to bully people. And I'm like, a am a pipsqueak, like I shouldn't be bullying anyone. I was always like, blessed with the speed to run from bullies. Um, So here I was trying to sort of not only shoo, uh, you know, he wanted five, six people to sit in on the interview and and I don't know, do all kinds of like Brazilian hand signals or God knows what. And that was just out of bounds. Um, and then the more awkward part was when we, uh, we rented, he said he liked to play piano. Mm-hmm. So we like full on rented like a whole grand piano, like a massive piano uh, for him to play and show off a bit. And then we kind of get there and he he doesn't want to do it. He's embarrassed. <laughs> so so there we had, we had other people there, photographers and videographers and assorted, I don't know, hangers on and staffers. And, you know, there was not a sandwich person. I wish there was a sandwich person. But I essentially had to like put my arm around Neymar and like tug him over to the piano and like sit him on the bench to get him to play piano. And it's ridiculous. And like, this is like, like the most famous, one of the most famous men in the world, like one of the greatest players of his generation. And I'm a nobody and I'm like tugging him like a mother would their toddler at the bank, you know, tugging him over to the bench to try to get him to sit down and play 30 seconds of chariots of fire on the piano. And then, and then while I was writing the story, all of the, the PSG stuff broke. So I spent the next six weeks, you know, trying to nail mercury to the wall uh, trying to write this cover story, having no idea where Neymar was going to decide to play, which kind of made it impossible and nightmarish. So that was that was my summer. And then after that, uh, we missed out on the World Cup.
0: <laughs> We've just summarized the last uh, 10 months since our last podcast, which was actually in May. And if you recall, I went back and listened to that podcast recently. You made fun of Australians and their accent in that podcast, which came out of nowhere And yet you avoided being an enemy in Australia, whereas with one tweet, I became enemy number one in Australia about a month ago uh, when I sort of foolishly in the end tweeted that whoever finished fourth in CONCACAF thinking that would be the U.S. or Panama would not be too worried about Australia or Syria uh, which would well, I been. think
1: that's, it's probably because you have 20 times the number of followers that I do, not because what you said was more offensive. I find what it, I said was definitely more offensive, and I, and I, want, that, I want credit for that. So I think, I think, it's just, I th- I think that's a, a commentary on your reach and not how stupid what you said was. What I said
0: was much more stupid. When I look back at 2017, Brian, I am going to think of offending the nicest people in the world <laughs> in Minnesota – who produced an entire <laughs> scarf that says, you know, nothing, Grant Wall, after my prediction that they would not win more than five games. And they did. And I have offended the people of Australia far less than you did. And yet they're like leading sports cartoonist did some strip about this, about how Australians, instead of celebrating their their World Cup qualification, decided to come after me on Twitter.
1: That was unmistakably your head in that drawing. <laughs> a
0: that pretty, was. a pretty accurate head, your rendering. Your head is I so might unique, say.
1: You could pick it out even 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 in comics drawn upside down in Australia. It is it is it is your head. What if we have to cover Australia at the World Cup now? Then that's like that could be that could be doomed for us both because you would have to face up to the people, the players you insulted, and I would have to listen to them.
0: Yes. I hope we tag team them with the same <laughs> game. Lots to talk about, but first off, did you have a nice Thanksgiving, Brian?
1: It was okay. I don't, uh, I don't have much of a family, but uh, made it to some friends. And um, my friend's sister's house, they had a, a toy chest in the basement full of vintage, old uh, Star Wars ships. Like the old school big ones, you know, the ones you needed two hands to fly even as an adult. And so that was, uh, absent uh, a wife and kids and all that normal stuff, I had fun uh, blasting an X-wing at a bunch of four-year-olds. So it was good.
0: Nice. Uh, For the first time in years, we didn't travel. And I'm finding that not traveling on Thanksgiving is actually quite enjoyable.
1: (laughs) Yep. My father refused. That was uh, my father when I'm growing up. My dad was always like, you know, if you guys want to come here speaking to relatives, that's great, but we are not leaving the house. He would not get on the road for Thanksgiving. And so that sort of became the, uh, the tradition.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a good Thanksgiving. I want to talk about the MLS playoffs. because Those go- have
1: also been going on for eight months.
0: <laughs> True. I think they were actually a topic of our last podcast in May. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Here we are. It's looking like this could be the Toronto-Seattle era in MLS. They were the final last year. They're shaping up to be the final again this year. Uh, are you okay with that?
1: Yeah, I'm okay with that, I, 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 with, with all due respect to, to Columbus and, and Houston. Um, I think the final last year kind of left us with a, a slightly dissatisfying taste. It felt unfinished. You know, we had, a, we had a champion who played by the rules. I don't fault Seattle, but, you know, the fact is they didn't take a shot. And, uh, you know, Toronto, uh, despite the pressure, despite the possession, um, wasn't able to score. Uh, Sebastian Javinko didn't have a good game, their biggest name. It just felt unfinished, uh, and, and and so yes, Seattle was the champion um, according to the rules of the competition. They won it, but to 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 get a second shot at that at that marquee game um, to see if Seattle can prove it wasn't a fluke, to see if Toronto can can make amends, uh, I I think that's something I would uh, I would like to see. So I'm I'm good with that.
0: I'm good with it too, and I like dynasties in my sports. I like it when two teams get something going, whether it's uh, the Lakers and the Celtics and the 1980s NBA, you know, I think it's something that uh, over time uh, people like to see that. In Toronto, when you look at them, they've been by far the best team in the league this season, and they certainly have cultivated this us-against-the-league mentality. I think Josie Altidore is even wearing a sweatshirt that basically says that. Do we have a villain in MLS in Toronto, Brian?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
0: Well, they certainly
1: did kind of lose the plot uh, in the first leg uh, i'm sorry in the second leg against new york uh didn't they um Josie's antics and flailing and 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 um Sebastian Javinko you know chasing the ref like the the referee stole his dog or something you know over a over an innocuous foul. 10 yard, you know, 10 20 yards from the Columbus goal in the 80th minute or whatever. I mean, it, that's just not the sort of behavior that that you'd expect from sort of com- composed champions to be from veterans. So it it did seem like the pressure was getting to them a little bit. Whether they are a villain, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't see I don't know that there's a villain right now. There hasn't been a good villain since Rafa Marquez left, to be honest. Is there am, am, am I missing someone obvious? I mean, Toronto is Look, a dynasty in this league is a little bit different because it's not – the dynasties that bother me are some of the ones abroad where they're, they're oligarch princes <laughs> outspending every other club in the country put together. And when every other time another team has a glimmer of hope, uh, N'Golo and Kante gets sold off to Chelsea and that's it. You're done. You know, and And, and, and that's – that's not fun when it, when one team vacuums up all the good work done by every other team. But but in MLS, that's not the case. And and I'm glad that that you know yes, Toronto and Seattle spend more money, but they spend money within rules agreed upon by all the clubs. Nothing stops other teams from spending that money. And there are a lot of peace and 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 look, I mean, spending all that money didn't get Seattle a cup from 2009 through 2015. And you know, Toronto went 10 years before making the playoffs. And and it, you know, money isn't a guarantee in MLS, like it is in so many other leagues. So they, they've they've been smart. They've made good decisions. They've signed good players. They, they've built good teams, and they deserve to be rewarded for that effort. So to me, they're not they're not villains, unless I'm I'm missing something obvious.
0: I do like. Th- the sense that Toronto and Seattle have ambition. We talk about ambition, in MLS, not every team has it, some do. And to me, it seems like if you spend more and have more ambition these days, you are rewarded for it on the field. Though that said, it took Toronto getting some actual defenders in the last couple of years to actually start winning and have a, a more balanced team. So it's not just about spending money. One thing I want to ask you about is... Michael Bradley, Josie Altador getting booed on the road, clearly connected to their role in the US's abject failure to qualify for World Cup 2018. Is that fair game, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, I think it's fair game. I think some of the I mean, I guess I read that uh, I'm sure I, I you'll probably agree with me on this. I guess I read that Josie said that someone in New York said something to, to you know, said something to him to the effect of you don't belong in this country or or made sort of comments that may be related to his Haitian heritage or something like that. That's obviously bullshit nonsense. I mean, that can't happen, but, but you know, getting on the players for their on field performance and the consequences of that, you know, like anything there, there's a, there's a line and if you don't cross it, it's okay. Um, you know, Josie and Michael were part of the, the, the biggest loss in the history of the sport in this country. And, and if you want to vent a little bit at them, that's uh that's completely understandable. I mean, as long as I don't think it was their fault, you know, so, so I would hope, I mean, I, I would expect fans to be equal opportunity to all the losers who were on the field that day in Trinidad and, you know, be smart and, and know the game and don't single out, you know, one or two players for, for failures that happened uh, a bit higher than them. And, uh, you know, don't be a, Jingoistic assholes, and um, if you can cover those two things, then you're okay.
0: I'm really excited because we're going to get an explicit tag on this podcast, which is perfectly fine. Uh, yeah, that was a given.
1: But when 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 Si remembered I worked there and decided to have me on this again, that was see that was the thing. Like, well, you you don't understand. Like, where you were while you were gone, and we weren't doing this. It was like I'd been Milton. You know, you know, I did the cover story, and then like it, nothing happened. I mean, I kept getting paid like Milton, but. <laughs> I wasn't really doing anything and I was just kind of sitting at home playing with my stapler and that's not a euphemism. And, and it's like now they remembered I work there again. They're like, damn, we better like have Strauss do something because he's stealing our money.
0: Welcome, um, welcome back to Sports Illustrated, Brian.
1: Yeah, thank you. So, um, so yeah, no, explicit. Uh, that's, that's, that's how I roll. I apologize.
0: Oh, Sorry. no. No apologies necessary. Um, I want to yep. ask you about something that is near and dear to us, which is the MLS playoff format which, in its current iteration, we both hate. You had the idea, you put it out there first long ago, about playing a group stage. The big problems, in my opinion, and I think you would agree with me on this, with the current format, is the first legs of these two-leg series are often dreadfully boring. Three of the six first legs this year were 0, zero. It's basically the first 90 minutes of a 180-minute game. Other big problems about the current format are that the November FIFA window causes any momentum gain to completely die, and then people forget that the MLS playoffs were actually happening. We also have an issue that too many lower-seeded teams have not had a high enough hill to climb over the years, and it basically makes the regular season meaningless in terms of success achieved and gaining an advantage from that. So... The proposal that is out there from SI.com is, one, to have a group stage like the World Cup, where every game winning it matters. And to have it, this is the new wrinkle that I added this year, that if you have the same amount of time between games that you have at the World Cup, which is four days off between games, you can schedule an entire group stage, conference final and final to take place starting right after the november fifa window and finish up on the same day that this playoffs is finishing up on december 9th and that to me would prevent that two-week window where people forget about the mls cup playoffs what do you think about all this brian
1: it's a lot i'm again as i said to you in private i'm i'm thrilled that that you you have you have picked up the torch on this Uh, the november window doesn't bother me i mean it it it's not ideal. It's not good, but it doesn't it, it's it's the least of the problems as far as I'm concerned. Like I can handle I'm a grown up and I can handle going two weeks without a game. i mean the 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 NFL, I don't know if they still do it or sometimes they do it, but for years and years and years, the NFL had two weeks between the conference championships and the super Bowl and and you know, we survived. um i I, I don't think. I don't think that's I don't I don't think that's the hill everyone should die on um, when they're sort of trying to figure out what the best format is. I mean, the best format will be the best competition. Um, it will be the con will be the thing that makes the championship the MLS Cup trophy, the thing MLS wants to promote and wants to use to symbolize its champion. The best format will make that trophy the most meaningful. That means it's hard to win. That means it connects and combines. The, the entire competition, the whole season, it makes the regular season matter. It, the, the, it makes the playoff something that's challenging and compelling. Um, you, you know, we sh- we shouldn't we shouldn't too often in MLS we doubt or dismiss the champion of the league, and that's a direct result of a playoff format that's so unsatisfying that, like you said, gives no reward to higher seeded teams. And the and the easiest um, solution, the the sort of the I I feel like the trend now, what a lot of people want is to just see a simple single elimination, you know, one game tournament that would conclude with an MLS cup final. And I'm very much against that because to me, shrinking the playoffs, making asking a team to play 34 regular season games, uh, then only three more to win the big prize, the championship that just makes it, it's too fluky. It's too short. It makes the, it's not hard to win. It's not challenging. It's ephemeral and instantaneous and sort of pointless. I would rather see I would rather just see the supporter shield winner uh, be declared the the MLS champion than see a a, a brief you know knockout tournament over three weeks. Um, there, there's no challenge there. So the group stage to me solves both problems. It makes the playoffs challenging to win. It asks something of the champion, but at the same time, there's clear reward for doing better over the bulk of the season and, and making the regular season matter. Because right now, it, right now it just doesn't matter. It's just, uh, you know, we're too many mediocre teams in the playoffs. And, and then, I mean, MLS sent out, I'm rambling, I'm sorry. MLS sent out a release at one point bragging about the fact that I think what, only three of 10 or three of 12 conference finals have gone to the to the higher seed. As if that's a good thing. I mean, your, your higher seed should have better than a 30% winning percentage. Not 100%, but somewhere in between 30 and 100. Should be where your higher seed uh, uh, finds success in the conference finals. So something's got to change. I'm glad you're on the case. Start banging on some doors, pitchforks and torches, <laughs> pistols at noon.
0: You know, I just, I just want to hear from someone in MLS, and I'm working on that, about what about this group stage plan would not be a massive upgrade over the current format and part of that group stage plan would be for the top seed of the four teams in the group to host all three of the group games the bottom seed hosts none so that they can still advance but they have a much higher hill to they climb. gotta hit the road
1: yeah and the and compromise would be i remember speaking to nelson rodriguez back when he was um executive vp of a lot of things i think that was his official title before he uh, went to, uh well, I guess he went to Chivas USA first um, and then to U.S. soccer. Anyway, this is not about Nelson Rodriguez's resume. Sorry. But um, one of the issues was that, that you know, they wanted a home game. Every, every every playoff team deserved a home game. And this was before the knockout round. But a compromise, obviously, would be that the top two seeds in the groups hosted two and one, hosted two games and one on the road for one. Um, and the bottom two seeds hosted one and one on the road for two. And you could manipulate it. So the, the highest seed got to host the second highest you make sure they got the home game for the best teams and whatever. There are other ways to do it. I'd also originally proposed two games in a conference final um, because I wanted to uh, make the, make the trophy harder to win. I wanted to, I wanted to ask more of the teams trying to win it. Um, but at the same time, I've grown to hate aggregate so much. And, and over the years have found increasingly to find it to just to be such a bastardization of the sport that I'd be fine with one game or, or, or a, a, some other kind of series where, It was results of the game that mattered and not the goals. I I find it kind of amazing that more people don't see it this way, that there is no other sport that changes the method of scoring at the most fundamental level during the course of a competition. It's it's, It's not like you play the first four rounds of Wimbledon and then in the semifinals they say, okay, instead of games and sets... We're going to decide the matches by how many raw points you score or by how many aces you have. That just doesn't happen. They don't say starting in the NBA playoffs, okay, all, all year it's been who scores more points in the game. Now it's going to be who wins the most quarters. But yet for some reason in soccer, people are okay with this idea of three points for a win, one point for a draw, and that's how we do things. But then starting at the most important time of year, that's not how we're going to do it. It's now... Um, we 're okay with a one nothing loss and the I, th- there are people i 've seen people who say that Columbus is okay with a zero zero draw at home because they can now go to Toronto and win with a with a score draw they 're okay what well, what is wrong with a format where you 're okay with being shut out at home that that 's cool i it, 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 this format doesn 't reward winning games, and the playoffs should be about winning games so i'm i'm 'm becoming more sour on aggregate as I become increasingly angry and curmudgeonly about life in general
0: <laughs> moving on uh you mentioned columbus uh obviously that's sort of the the story of the postseason it really is in yes, MLS. It's
1: uh, it really is it, it uh, everything is sort of viewed through the lens of, of what's going on with the crew and it it sucks
0: and obviously the story is that on the eve of the playoffs si.com breaks the news that Anthony Precourt, the owner of the Columbus crew, is set to move Columbus to Austin, Texas in 2019 if a new downtown stadium is not agreed upon for Columbus. This obviously sets off a firestorm in Columbus among the fans there. This is the original club in MLS. Anthony Precourt bought the team a few years ago, and people there are rightly angry. The Save the Crew movement has started and has gotten a lot of attention, and then Amazingly, Columbus continues its great form from the late regular season into the postseason, upsets Atlanta, upsets NYCFC, and here they are. And obviously Toronto has the greater likelihood of of winning that second leg at home. But still, for Columbus to have a chance to host a final again at Maffrey Stadium and potentially Win that game, win the title, and have Commissioner Don Garber, who has supported Anthony Precourt, hand the trophy to Anthony Precourt in front of Columbus fans would be one of the weirdest situations (laughs) I could ever imagine.
1: I I haven't, I I haven't thought about that specific image until just now. It hadn't occurred to me that specifically. that's amazing. Have <laughs> would be like the weirdest thing ever. That would be, well, because, you know, a few years ago, I, mean, I, think, I think it started, I may be mistaken because I'm kind of pulling this out of thin air, but it may have started with Anschutz, one of the more recent Galaxy titles. But for a long time, um, MLS did the proper thing, what they do around the rest of the world, which is hand the trophy to the captain instead of to the, to the old guy in the suit. But then recently they decided to start handing it to the guy to the suit because, you know, as we've since learned, it really is all about the owners. And so <laughs> it really is. It, it the, the rest of us, all of us, no matter your connection to the game, we are we are we are pawns. We are cannon fodder. It is really all about the owners. And so. So, yeah. So that would happen. That would happen. He Garber. Garber would 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 hand the the the, the trophy to pre-court who, who would be all like he, he gets all like. Flush and rosy cheeked in the cold, you know. So, so you'd see this like pink faced pre court, you know, maybe ducking snowballs, uh, <laughs> receiving the trophy. What
0: an image! <laughs> you know, this would probably actually be the reason that MLS will finally move away from that idiotic handing of the trophy to the owner of the this team. Might
1: actually, right. This, this might be, this might be the one, this might be the silver lining to pre court stabbing Columbus in, in the back is that we don't have to see, uh, we don't have to see that, that absurd ritual anymore.
0: I thought you wrote a terrific column about this, about Anthony Precourt and Columbus recently. He, here's, a, here's a paragraph from that. Precourt has to be better about taking real responsibility for results. The tone-deaf, let-them-eat-cake approach at so many levels of American soccer needs to change. The game requires investment. It needs leaders. But when it stops being about the game and starts revolving around the ego and position of individuals, those leaders must evolve or make way. The crew aren't an extension of Anthony Precourt. They're an extension of Columbus. Good stuff, man.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It, it, uh, what is it? Dogs, butts, suns, shining, clocks <laughs> right twice a day. It happens.
0: But I think it comes at an important time as well because we are talking about uh, leadership in American yes, soccer con- right yes. now. And- the
1: timing of this. Oh, my God. The confluence of, of, of arrogance and men who think it's about them um, sort of tearing at the foundation of the sport in this country. The, the pre-court and Columbus news just came at, at the most incredible uh, time, um, you know, considering that context. It, it's really remarkable how, how tone deaf it was.
0: Which gives us a nice segue, I think, into talking about the U.S. soccer presidential election, which has seven candidates as of now. That does not include Sunil Gulati, who still has to decide whether he's going to run or not by the December 12th deadline. Right now, I think he is going to run. I think he has a chance of actually winning. And I don't know what that says about accountability in American soccer. What do you make of this whole presidential election?
1: It's a a large clown car at the moment, isn't it?
0: Um, Am
1: I wrong? I know I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. This is one of those things where I have a feeling and I know it's wrong. But I'm going to say it anyway. Because I have no pride left. Is it wrong that I want one candidate who knows how to use an apostrophe? (laughs) That's what I want. I, I want... I want a candidate who can send a tweet without making a fifth grade error in capitalization or punctuation. I haven't noticed that's, this. I, it's all I see. <laughs> it's driving me insane. <laughs> can we have one candidate who can write a sentence? And I realize that that's not a requirement and I realize I'm a nerd and a curmudgeon and a jerk, but just one candidate who doesn't put an apostrophe in a possessive now.
0: Okay. I mean, in a
1: plural noun. See, now I made the mistake. Now, now the joke's on me. An apostrophe in a plural noun, capitalizing. And anyway, I'm out. I I spent too long on that. So so there's a really so a lot of a lot of it's sound bites and hot takes and you know we, we've all we've all discussed this and pay to play and 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 then okay you know I mean what does that even mean? How are you going to do that? You know the, these questions were never answered and we're not really any closer to, to, to real solutions or, or, or stuff that can actually be accomplished, right? Sunil is a, is a good administrator and, and Sunil is someone who uh, is, is, has done a good job of modernizing a lot of things about the Federation and, and, and sort of working his way into uh, the halls of power at FIFA, which may wind up getting us the, the, the 2026 world cup. Um, what Sunil is terrible at is hiring coaches and knowing when to fire coaches. And the fact that he doesn't know he's terrible at that is really, really alarming and amazing. And it, and, and it's what should disqualify him from being president. The fact that he took on all that power, misused it, misused it again, and has no kind of clue or self-awareness about the damage that did and the level of entitlement that that requires. Um, so to me, that's damning. Um, and I don't know if he's capable of seeing that or reforming that. I mean, if he were to say, I, I mean, I like, you know, Carlos Cordero is one candidate who said this. I think I, I think a couple others have sort of hinted at it as well that that hiring coaches would be a, a, a committee, a group of people, soccer people, um, and not not sort of the decree of one starstruck administrator. So. That's the most important thing to me is someone who understands delegation, someone who understands that it's not all about him, someone who understands that there may be people involved in in various walks of the sport who know more than he does and whose counsel he should uh, he should use. And so if someone can understand those things and also knows how to use an apostrophe, that would be great.
0: <laughs> I just don't see how... You can reward Sunil Gulati with four more years after the biggest screw up in American soccer history, in which his actions and, and poor decisions had a direct impact on that. I, I don't see how you can reward him. You, you can't,
1: but there has to—you have to have a president. There has to be an alternative, right? So, so who do you who do you reward? Who do you who should have it?
0: Well, I do wish there were there was at least one woman candidate. Right now, we have seven and potentially eight dudes, and a lot of the discussion has been about the men failing to qualify for the World Cup, and I get that, but there hasn't been a lot of discussion about the women's national team. There hasn't been a lot of discussion about NWSL, and I do think this campaign is going to get nasty, whoever the candidates are, and how many we end up getting. We'll know for sure by December 12th, the election is taking place February 10th. In Orlando, and I really hope—I guess I would say uh, that—that it doesn't get overly nasty. I just want someone in the job who can do the job right. I'm bummed out that someone like Julie Foudy doesn't want to run. I want to see this become a paid job, uh, so you can attract the best talent. Uh, There's a long ways to go in this election. Maybe SI can host a debate and I can moderate it. I think that would be fun. Can I
1: heckle? if you're if you <laughs> if you're going to be the moderator i'm going to i want to heckle from the audience i think that's i think that's what the people want i think it's allowed yes so i so i've heard one good i've heard i i want to say this i've heard one really interesting idea that sort of was bouncing around on twitter and and that i i, I thought i found compelling and something that i've been thinking about the logistics and the potential um michael winedgrad is an attorney right mm-hmm. suggested a a one or two empty sort of shell openings whatever for lack of a better word births in mls that would be used for promotion Hmm. so it wouldn't i don't i mean i guess it would cost the league something if if it was in place of an expansion team Mm -hmm. but if it was an addition if you know if they bring in four expansion teams and go to 28 and then they then they decide okay you know what we're we're gonna have 30 teams we're gonna be a 30 team league 28 full-time members because let's be honest, they're not going to relegate themselves, okay? So 28 full-time members, but then two uh, that are for uh, promoted teams. And those two will be filled by the most recent champions of, you know, the, the, however many second-tier leagues we happen to have at the moment. Or, and if there's only one, then the top two teams. They would move up, and they would play the season in MLS, and see if they can hack it. See if they can do it. See if promotion's feasible and reasonable and, 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 and doable. And then if they finish at the bottom, they get replaced. They, they go back to their second division league and they get replaced by the two new teams that come up. So I think the, I, I don't know if I'm getting his proposal exactly right, but I think, I think he was implying that if the two teams do well, they stay in MLS for as long as they... Um, now I don't know how it works with contracts and IP and, 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 and and all the other things that go into being an MLS. Um, but it was, it was a neat idea. It was not something I had thought of. Um, it would, it would be a test bed for promotion and relegation. Um, you know, what, what if one of these teams goes up and spends two years in MLS and their fans and their sponsors and everybody gets used to that, then they get relegated. Do they survive? Do people still come? You know, these are all questions that I think are hard to answer theoretically, and, and this is doable. I mean, it would take a while to figure out all the, the, the I's and the T's, and especially, like I said, in terms of uh, player contracts and, 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 and how MLS structures those and how that differs from the way the other leagues do and all that stuff. But it was a really unique and interesting idea, and I think it's worth talking about and exploring. And, and that's one thing that's kind of um, popped in my head about the election so far, other than the, the terrible tweeting.
0: Well, I like creative ideas. I like the fact that some of the candidates are trying to think of how promotion and relegation might be eased into over time in a transition that might be workable. I have nothing against yeah. the idea of promotion and relegation at some point in American soccer. I don't know if it's necessarily the conditions are there right now, but
1: the bigger issue, the bigger issue is the lack of a player market in my opinion. I mean the 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 lack of the, the fact that MLS so tightly controls and suppresses the player market in this country. You know, that's where, you know, people talk about incentive. You know, it, incentive is an individual uh, thing. Incentive is something that drives uh, young players, amateur players, developing players to push themselves, work harder. And the fact that entry in into the top tier on an individual basis is is not only restrictive, but also – because MLS teams can't sort of bid against each other for a player's services, those salaries are sort of driven down and the opportunities driven down the, the there's not a intra MLS transfer market. Um, so I think those things are, are a bigger detriment to the growth of the sport and the development of players and also the lack of, of training compensation. Um, all of those things would be easier to fix, I think, uh, than, than relegating, you know, y- you have a, you have a team like, uh, you know, Minnesota, Nashville, the, the, you know, the, the, spending hundreds of millions of dollars on stadiums, they have contracts. I have no doubt they have contracts that stipulate uh, first division soccer and, and things of that nature. The, the, these teams are not going to relegate themselves, but by creating a robust player market and creating competition for players and incentive for players, I think you'd solve a lot of problems.
0: We're winding up here because we don't want to keep listeners on for forever, but I don't want to...
1: It's <laughs> a harsh way to follow me up.
0: Sorry, dude. (laughs) I want to talk World Cup draw. Uh,
1: I had a gun to my head, but now that you stopped, I'm just going to... (laughs) Sorry.
0: I want to talk World Cup draw. It's this Friday. It's in Moscow in a section of the Kremlin that the public is not usually allowed to enter. You and I will not be there. The U.S. will not be there. And I do think that watching this World Cup draw on Friday is going to be another gut punch for American fans who will get to see crystal clearly that the U.S. will not be involved in World Cup 2018. Do you get excited for this World Cup draw on Friday, or, or do you even care?
1: Um, that's a good question. I don't know. What about you? I'm kind of in between. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm interested but not excited.
0: Well, first off, we will be reminded once again that the entire... 60 to 90 minute production is actually really only about the few minutes that it takes to do the draw itself. And there will be plenty of- Oh my
1: God, you don't watch the song and dance crap, do you?
0: I I have to watch the song and dance crap if you turn it on.
1: I don't watch the song and dance.
0: Um, And there will be sort of, I don't think Johnny Infantino, the new FIFA president is as leering as Sepp Blatter was. (laughs) Though I do encourage you to go on YouTube all of you and watch the 1994 world cup draw in Las Vegas. The interaction between Robin Williams and Seth bladder is awesome because bladder was running that draw and Robin Williams comes on and basically made Seth bladder the joke of the whole thing. And it's now on YouTube. It's one of the great moments in world cup draw history. And I think the reason why they never do anything that's actually funny anymore or unpredictable in the way of inviting someone on like Robin Williams.
1: You know, by saying that, Avi is now going to assign me a great moments in World Cup draw history story.
0: (laughs) I actually wrote about this before it was on YouTube and got a kind of a bootleg video of the whole thing. So, yes, I expect, uh, you know, silly Russian dancing girls. I expect bad music. I expect... Puns, 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 puns. Well, I expect everyone to sort of not acknowledge the fact that Russia is the worst team of the 32 teams in the tournament, which I find fascinating, uh, at least in terms of the FIFA rankings. And I think they actually are pretty terrible. The idea that Mexico is America's team now. How do you feel about that? I mean, they're in this World Cup. They're going to be front and center on... Fox Sports is English language broadcast. Obviously, the Telemundo Spanish language. I actually think this Mexico team is a very likable group. Maybe more so than previous incarnations.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good word for it. I feel the same way. Yeah, there's they they play good soccer. There are fewer shenanigans. Um, and I realize I say this from a U.S. perspective, where I I notice those shenanigans and 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 sort of you know jot them down in my head. But uh, yeah, they are likable and and. Um, you know they 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 are suffering from their own you know how many how many World Cups in a row now uh, that that they've gone in with hope and 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 ambition and gone out in the round of sixteen sometimes and uh, you know in, in like especially four years ago in excruciating and controversial circumstances so I, I think uh, so every year since ninety eight I mean right they they weren't at the ninety four World Cup and then right. um, and then nine every year since ninety eight they've gone out in the round of sixteen so so th- they have some pressure on them as well. And obviously Juan Carlos Osorio who, who stuck around after the Copa America disaster, um, is going to have, um, a lot of, uh, some spotlight on him. So I I have no problem with them being America's team. I think it's fun in a way to kind of hear people sort of try to reason through who they're going to be rooting for. You know, what, what, what country do they have a connection to? What country have they visited? What, what team do they find compelling? You know, I mean, can people sort of muster the people want that rooting interest? I mean, that's what makes the World Cup fun. And, you know, it's been interesting to sort of see American fans do the do the, the mental and emotional gymnastics to try to figure out uh, who they might want. Um, I don't have any obvious uh, uh, heritage or anything like that to, to fall back on. Most of my relatives are from New Jersey, um, so I don't really have a, uh, a second team. Um, I'm just hoping again, like I've said, to not be assigned to Australia and, um, (laughs) you know, I'd rather be assigned, you know, there, I, at least I speak English, but I, but you know, the accent, I, would almost rather be trying to do interviews in Portuguese. Well,
0: Um, maybe we should actually make Australia our villain team. If Toronto is the villain team of MLS, then Australia can be the villain team of World Cup 2024 or World Cup Well, when Avi had me
1: do, when Avi had me do, you know, sort of all the potential fun groups, there was a there was a there was a U.S. villain group, and I think it was Russia, Mexico, Iran, and Morocco. The first three being obvious, and then Morocco, of course, being the rival uh, for the for the 2026 World Cup. They were the they were the they were the only plausible villain I could find out of pot four. But obviously, the seeding too is different this time. It's entirely based on FIFA ranking all through the draw, and FIFA's continued reliance over reliance, I think, on the FIFA ranking which is probably all about whoever sponsors the fifa ranking and has nothing to do with sporting considerations but you wind up having i mean you wind up having spain in, in pot 2 and and you know england colombia uruguay in in, in pot 2 so you know, we imagine spain and germany or spain and brazil or, or 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 spain and france or england and france you know being drawn uh, together in the group stage. That's very likely.
0: Well, like you're saying, all 32 teams will be seated for this draw for the first time in previous incarnations. It's only been the top seven teams along with the host country. I like that idea. I like the fact that in theory, the groups should be a bit more even and there you may not have a group of death uh, or, or something that is just the hardest group possible. Now, obviously, as you point out, the FIFA rankings are not ideal. They never well, have you can been. You game the rankings. And he's, you can clearly game. The rankings. Yeah, so like if you're Poland or Wales, if they had made it, they're really high in the rankings, unnaturally high, because they've realized that if you don't schedule friendlies when you necessarily have a FIFA window, that you actually are better off not playing a game in the FIFA rankings, which is crazy, and I hope that FIFA fixes all of this. There's clearly a lot better ways to do rankings. They should hire somebody. Uh, who's like a good analytics person uh, instead of hiring whoever does the Audi index or whatever that is. I just want to see data and uh, the advancements that we've seen, but you know, done by the right people in recent years used by the people that matter most, whether that's television broadcast people or FIFA itself.
1: Yeah. The fact that you can be rewarded for, for not competing is, is antithetical to sport, but there is a lot to, to sum up this podcast. There is a lot that has been going on in soccer (laughs) lately uh, that is antithetical to sport, and it is a problem, and uh, maybe some will get fixed at the next presidential election, and maybe some will get fixed uh, going forward. When you say
0: some will get fixed, do you mean Soccer United Marketing? Ooh, I didn't even mean that, but maybe I did. (laughs) we'll quit while we're ahead thanks for listening everyone to the planet football podcast I want to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast please if you like the pod tell your friends subscribe like and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it really does help the cause if you do and check out the new 30 minute planet football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Juan Carlos Osorio, Howard Webb, Alexi Lalas, and Kyle Martino. See you next time. Do you know
1: about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked
0: On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast
1: Network, your team every day.